and welcome to episode 52 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm just going to say off the top, I called it. Mark Shifley was going to have a big year this year. <laughs> Look at that. He's having a big year. I called it. Yep. Uh, also, um, some guy named Patrick Line is also doing pretty good. We're going to talk about uh, Winnipeg, uh, where they're at this year. Are they for real? Uh, also, we're going to talk about some more injuries. Uh, and the, the Sabres, they get a break. And uh, they also lose a guy, so they didn't, haven't been really able to catch any breaks. Also, the Islanders lose, um, I would think, a crucial part of their blue line. We'll expand on yeah. that. And also, a former Ottawa 67 uh, received some tough news. Um, also, apparently there's this popular NHL matchup that's going to be getting picked up by NBCSN later this month. We'll expand on that. And uh, Bruins sends where our teams stack up. But first, Brett, um, I, I I heard there was this big event in the U.S. that uh, <laughs> some people are happy about, others not yep. so. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too much into this because this is a hockey podcast, and you know we watch hockey to get get away from all that stuff. But yeah. I felt we felt like it was um, it was weird to not ignore to just ignore it completely. So. Um, all I will say is that if you're a Trump supporter or a Clinton supporter, um, just treat people with respect, treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, you know, never stop fighting. Um, and just have a discussion with people that disagree with you because anything that I've learned from this election, it's that people are, you know, people have different views than you do. And, um... And the best way to, like, you know, and some of these ways, some of these opinions are frightening um, in their own right. But uh, the way to combat that is not more hate. Um, It's to, uh, you know, talk it out with these people and explain to them why your way is better. Um, Yeah, and uh, I I I think you've you've pretty much alluded to an important point there, Brad. And and this is coming from a Canadian. I don't live in America. (laughs) Yeah, I've no, never it's like in just, America in my life. But right. I think I can speak for a lot of people when I say America is great because everyone rallies around one another, they unite, yeah. and they are one country. And that is what this country needs to do. It will only be as great as Donald Trump um, thinks it can become, like economic-wise. It can true, only yeah. be as great as it can be if everyone rallies yep. around one another and unites. So, yeah, um, I don't, I, I don't have too much faith in Donald Trump, but <laughs> rooting, but at this point he is our president. So, yeah. uh, like rooting against him is like rooting the rooting for the plane that you're on to crash. Um, yeah. So, um, I do hope that he uh, changes his mind on a lot of his policies, but. Um, but uh, it's you know it's it's very slim hope here. So um, yeah, you can get going on your number of things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move along to what uh, we usually talk about on this show. A uh, shout yeah. outs to all the players past and present who have worn number fifty two in their NHL careers. Uh, though he did it briefly, Dave Andrewchuk uh, with the Buffalo Sabers in two thousand one, he wore number fifty two. Um, as a member of the Blackhawks from 2006 to 2008, Dustin Bufflin wore number 52. We're going to talk a bit about him in this podcast. Uh, Adam Foote, of course, probably the most popular uh, to wear number 52. Mike Green, during his time in Washington, wore that number. 
Jonathan Erickson, who wears it in Detroit right now and is the reason why Mike Green no longer wears number 52. Uh, Jason Garrison with the Florida Panthers. Matt Irwin. Colin Greening in Ottawa, 2011. Uh, Dave Lewis as a member of the Red Wings in 87. Uh, Craig Rave throughout his time in Montreal. And Alexander Solzer uh, with the Preds. So to all the NHLers past and present, We'll have worn number 52. This podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. All right, so uh, let's get going now uh, <laughs> to less serious topics here. Um, so uh, Truba finally gets signed um, this week. Uh, he's the last RFA to get signed. He signed a bridge deal with Winnipeg. In two years, uh, $3 million annual average value. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot about the Winnipeg Jets here, but... Yeah. Um, this was the biggest news this week. Um, I thought this was an interesting deal because, you know, he was holding out for a bit um, and, you know, it didn't seem that he wanted, like, it seemed like he was actually going to be traded. But then, I guess, when you think about it, like, he didn't really have that much leverage. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe he will get traded eventually. Um, but... Um, for now, he's a uh, he's a Winnipeg Jet. Yeah, and and again, you alluded alluded to the fact about his future. The whole thing wasn't about the money and how much he was going to get paid. He wants to be a right-handed shooting defenseman. Yeah. That's that's what he wants to be professionally. And now he's back with the Winnipeg Jets, a team that uh, really at this point doesn't seem to have enough space for him to become that guy. So again, you probably thought, okay, it's the bridge deal. I'll suck it up. Uh, sign a two-year deal and play my way, show, um, up my value a little bit, and and then, you know, I don't know what the plan is, um, you know, down the road. He's, by the way, rescinded his trade request. So right. for now, he's a Winnipeg Jet. For but, now, but, yeah. Uh, for, for now, again, down the road, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Either right. way, I give props to Kevin Shoveldayoff because he's had to deal with two major situations that really could have been a distraction for this team. Of course, the whole Evander Kane uh, situation, he ended up trading him to Buffalo, got a pretty good return for Evander Kane, and then he gets the situation with Jacob Truba result. Great management by Shovel Day up on this one. Right. Um, yeah, I think that that's true. I think it's like... Well, it's also Shovel Day off has never been known to be a big trader guy, so... Um, so he picked, Truba picked the wrong GM to have a standing match on, on this. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we kind of talked about that. Uh, and and, you know, let's, let's be fair to Truba. He's one of their young defenders, probably their best young defender they have. He hasn't reached 30 points in a season yet. True. I still think he's going to be traded though. Um, maybe not this year, but he will be next year. Um, I just... Because I feel like teams probably didn't want to get a guy who didn't even have a contract yet. Um, so now that he does have a contract, and you get him for like you know an extra year, um, if you do trade him now. But 
Um, yeah, you're going to get more value out of Jacob Trouba exactly. than you did as an offense. Yeah, and three and, million. And I think that's what, and I think that's yeah. why Shevoldayov looks a bit smart on this. He's not going to make a trade unless he's getting the best right. return possible. And three million isn't that much. It's like definitely undervalue for uh, Trouba. So, um, so maybe like it will be more intriguing for teams to be like, oh, okay, we only have this guy for three million for one year, maybe. Let's um and then let's get him for you know one year on his bridge deal and then we can um you know work out another contract if he's good enough or something like that. But um I guess that has to happen, you know. But um all right, and then other um if you've looked at the stats yet lately, um Patrick Line and Mark uh Mark Shifley are both ahead on um, in the stats lineup, uh, Shifley has 20 points in 16 games. Line a has 11 goals in 16 games. He's not, but um, so Line a leads the league in goals. Shifley leads the league in points and is second in goals. Behind, he's tied for second in goals uh, with uh, Crosby and Pasternak. Um, and uh, but. Um, yeah, so these two are so these two are both um, leading the league in points and goals, um, and the Jets are sixteen points have sixteen points in sixteen games. Um, so what will happen to the Jets? Um, well, uh, just getting back to Shifley, I, I knew he was going to have a big yep. season. I didn't think he'd be leading the league in scoring a month into the season. That, right. that was a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, Patrick Lanning, I knew this about him. He become one of the best shooters, not named Ovechkin in today's game. Uh, uh, but yeah. his eleven goals. Um, what's What's intriguing is after uh, let's see, eleven goals in twelve games. His first twelve games, he got eleven goals. Right. Exact same as Solani in his rookie year, where he scored over seventy. Ovechkin in his first twelve games had ten goals. So yeah. here come the Patrick Lanning comparisons. You know. I don't know if he's going to be the next pure goal scorer in the NHL. He's got the makings of a pure goal scorer. And um, it, it's it's not just Shifley and Lane doing everything. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers has 14 points in his first 16 games. Blake Wheeler, their captain, has 13 points in his first 16. And it's their other youngsters that they're added depth on offense that it, it, it's, it's I'm really interested to see – how they fare the course of the year. Kyle Connor has four points. Andrew Kopp has four points in his first six. Marco Dano, three points in his first six. Uh, Joel Armia, who they got in that um, Evander Kane trade from Buffalo, four points in his first ten. Nick Patan, three points in his first in, in his first six games. And Josh Morrissey, another talented prospect, played in 16 games, only got two points. The upside is strong with him. And then, of course, you add Truba into the mix now. Um... Both goalies haven't found their stride. They've had their moments, and uh, their defense overall is still a work in progress. Um, but even though they their road power, power play has been in the league's bottom five and their home penalty kill has been in the league's bottom five, they're still a top-five scoring team in the league at the time yeah. we're recording this podcast. They just need stable defense, and I really think this team is going to be dangerous. And they'll get Truba soon. Um, when he's help, when he's uh, ready, so yeah. That's... Actually, I think he made his debut against Colorado. Oh, did he play uh, already? So he, he, he's already there. 
Oh, okay. I thought I thought I thought it would be like a Hampus Lindholm situation where we'll take a bit. Yeah. To... Okay, so I didn't Which know. Me, uh, that reminds me, Hampus has finally played his first yeah, game yeah. since Hampus signing that contract. Right. Yeah, I forgot to mention that too. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I I I didn't I knew that Patrick Line was going to be good. Um, I didn't know he was going to be this good this fast. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been. Um, crazy to me. I don't know if both, I don't know if Shifley and Line A will both, like, will continue this way. I don't know. I I would assume McDavid will will win the heart or Crosby or Kane. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Steve, are you there? Yeah, I think it's a coming of age. I think you're really starting yeah. to see what this team is capable of um, in, in the early stages of the year. I don't know if it's sustainable for this year. I don't yeah. know if they're going to be a playoff team. Down the road, I think they're going to be as good as advertised. Yeah, his. Uh, I was just looking at line A's shooting percentage. He has a 23.9 shooting percentage. So that's not sustainable, <laughs> really. But... Um, but I mean, you know, that's not to say that he won't be a good, you know, he won't have a good rookie year. I mean, I've already been proven wrong on that. So, um, yeah, we shall see, I guess. Um, all right, let's. That takes us to our poll of the week because we were talking about um, impressive. There was another rookie uh, achievement that happened last, uh, you know, in the season. Um, Matthews had his four goal game to start the season. Patrick Line has two hat tricks in this young season. So I asked, what has been more impressive in this young season? Uh, Austin Matthews' four goal games or Patrick Line's two hat tricks? Um, I. Um, so this is kind of surprising, I guess. People thought that Line's two hat tricks um, this quickly. Um, was more impressive with 87% of the vote, um, and Matthews had 13% of the vote. Um, so, I don't know, this, that was surprising, but uh, the people have spoken. Uh, yeah, but, I, I, uh, I think some people make the argument that, you know, Austin Matthews is most impressive because he did that on opening night in his right. first NHL game, and very few um, of very few of the game's best have been able to do something like that in their NHL debut. Um, I think most people would argue uh, Patrick Laney's two hat-tricks are the most impressive because one of them came against Austin Matthews and those young Maple Leafs. True. The other came against the Dallas Stars, who have Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, and offensive weapons. Yeah, but those are like, you know, it's like they have a bad defense, but yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also that's also um, the, the knock on, uh, on Laney there, but... And so does Toronto, um, then, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, what, what I also found fascinating, uh, I took a look at the assist comp for his first and his second hat-trick. In his first hat-trick, Bufflin Shifley assisted on the first, Ehlers assisted on the second, Bufflin assisted in the third. For his second hat-trick, Sherratt and Potsma got uh, the assists on the first goal, Wheeler and Shifley on the second, Shifley and Ehlers on uh, the third. What this also tells me is that, again, Mark Shifley proving why he's the NHL's best player right now as far as offense goes. Right. Uh, but, 
you know, you can slightly tweak your defense and tinker with their lines, and you might still get production if you have a guy who has got plenty of skill and a lethal release. Line A has both of those attributes, and I think that's probably why people make the argument that no matter which line he, he plays on, he's got the potential to do some damage. True. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, this is it's very quick. Uh, I guess uh, he's already making an effect on the league already, or having an influence on the league already. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, and, and he's, he's got that kind of a shot where you don't really appreciate it until you see it in slow motion. Yeah. Like you see all the, all these shots, you know, coming in like at a split second and just like, Oh, a regular top shelf goal. Right. And then you look at the replay and you're just like, Oh, what a shot. Yeah. Well, that's why he gets uh comparisons to Ovechkin cause he, uh, he's like a great shooter. So um, we may be seeing the next Ovechkin, actually. Uh, we'll see. Uh, rapid fire. Um, we're kind of all over the place here in our rapid fire, but, uh, I guess that's the point of a rapid fire, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so Justin Falk is on the IR with an upper body. Not too surprising considering Justin Falk has been, like, injured for the past, like, two years. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's injured again. Uh, it looks like, you know, guys like Noah Hannafin and, um, I don't even know who <laughs> the other de- defensemen that Carolina has. Yeah, uh, the need, club need initially listed him as, as week to week. Uh, yeah. he was hurt in a game versus New Jersey, November 6th. Um, earliest he could return is November 15th. I doubt he's back by then. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard Ryan Murphy and Jakob Nakladl will split ice time uh, during his absence. Yeah, I'm just looking here. It looks like Noah Hannafin is taking over his power play spot. Mm, um, and Brett Pesci and Jacob Slavin are both going to be the top pair um, in Carolina. So, I mean, Carolina's in a weird situation where they're not really good and they're not really bad either. So, um, this definitely does hurt them because he is their... Uh, he, he is their best player, but um, Polk is the best player. But it's still like, you know, maybe Hannah Finn and Pishi and Slavin will uh, step up and do something um, and make, you know, and do something while uh, Falk is hurt. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is e- even though Braden Holpe wasn't playing, they still beat Washington 5 to 1. Right. So in their first game with without uh, just. Um, in their first couple of games without Justin Falk, they haven't been atrociously bad. True. And I, I think this is a good test for Carolina to see who else can step up and what they have in some of the other guys. Yep. Speaking of a true test to see what they have, uh, yeah. Travis Hamanick is out for uh, the Islanders. He is out four to six weeks due to injury. Um, I don't think we know exactly what he's injured, but... Uh, they're saying upper body. That's the best of what we yeah, know. He yeah. got hurt against Edmonton. Uh, five points in 12 games may not seem like a significant loss, but when you look at guys like Andrew Ladd and Andrews League or further down the team scoring list than Hamannick is, it's yeah. kind of important to have a guy like Travis. And it's also bad news for a defensive core that is, offensively speaking, one of the league's top five teams. Right. And I think that could really have a significant impact with uh, – um, a guy like Travis Hamnick, who isn't their top defenseman, but provides a lot of depth on the top four. Yeah, and I, I pretty, think that trickle-down effect is going to hurt him. Yeah, he's uh, 
he's kind of underrated in that regard because he's not the he doesn't get a ton of offensive points for them, but he does like he is like their solid guy there who's mm-hmm. like you know he's a good defensive defenseman. So yeah, he does the little things. Yeah, right. he does the things that aren't on the stat sheet. So, um, but like guys like Nick Letty, Johnny Boychuk, Thomas Hickey, uh, Calvin DeHaan, even Seidenberg will have to step up and um, help uh, alleviate that loss for the Islanders there. Um, okay, I think that's it. Uh, spe- yeah, oh, I should have put this when we were talking about the Carolina Hurricanes, but Brian Bickle um, is diagnosed with MS. Um, so it's a sad news here, but um, yeah, it's um, he was a bit, he wasn't. Um, he was a big uh, factor for the Chicago Blackhawks in 2013 during their playoff run. Um, in fact, he scored against my Bruins, unfortunately, in a big game. But, um, yeah, so it's a sad news there for him. But um, Yeah, three, three-time Stanley Cup champion, former Ottawa 67 as well, um, yeah. OHL team uh, here in uh, my uh, hometown. But, uh, you know, an MS diagnosis... Um, it it pro- it'll probably limit his career, but mm-hmm. I don't think he's retiring yet because if you remember, a former NHL goalie by the name of Josh Harding was, was diagnosed with MS yeah. in November of 2012. Played fairly well in the two years following his diagnosis, but then injuries started to uh, derail him in 2014-2015, demoted to the AHL, and in just his second game with Minnesota's AHL affiliate, he was suffering from dehydration reportedly related to his MS and then later retired. So I don't think he's retiring just yet, but if you ask me if he's going to be playing by the time he's 35, uh, I don't think the odds are in his favor, unfortunately. It's very sad news for Brian Bickle, and um, he, he went to Twitter to thank his fans for their support. And uh, he, he also uh, told the media that since the 2015 playoffs, he was he was struggling to understand what was going on with his body and, over the past few weeks, it just felt like something wasn't right, and then he got the diagnosis. So uh, our thoughts are with Brian Bickle and his family yeah, right exactly. now, who are going who are going through a life changing ordeal. I um yeah you just, I was reminded when um when I heard this I was reminded by Josh Harding, um that goalie who uh, played while while he had MS. So mm-hmm. it's like it's definitely possible to play with MS, but it's definitely difficult. Um, yeah, so, I, I, I don't think you're going to see the same Brian Bickle that you saw in his earlier years with yeah, Chicago. I think exactly. that player is going. But. And that's sad, but yeah. um, but at least he has the Stanley Cup, so it's not like we have to feel too badly for him. Um, yeah, he's got three of them, actually. Yeah, so he has three of them, exactly. He's, he's, he has a... But, know, like, I remember it, he was, like, uh, wasn't he traded to Carolina this past season as, like, a salary dump, and now... Um, and now we, I guess we know yeah, why. <laughs> I think Tara Vanen went with him too. Yeah, Tara Vanen went with him as a salary dump, and, um, so we, I guess we know why he hasn't been the same really, but, um, well, I don't know, maybe he was diagnosed just now, or I don't know if he's always had MS or something like that. Well, but, it's, it's tough to tell, you know, how, yeah. how long the, the MS diagnosis dates back to when exactly he had it, but. Yeah, I don't know how MS works. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, if you look at the past two seasons, since his 80-game 
season with Chicago in 2014-2015. He's only played in 32 regular season games, only one goal. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's talk about Columbus, who who seem to not have trouble scoring goals. Um, they won 8-4 to against St. Louis last, uh, last night on Saturday. Um, we're taping this on Sunday, or recording this on Sunday. Um, so even though this will be out on Monday, but, um, yeah, eight to four against St. Louis, uh, they had that 10 to nothing, uh, score against Montreal a couple of weeks ago. We mentioned that, um, they, uh, they lost to my Bruins, uh, on Thursday, but we're going to do a, are they for real section right now? Um, so Steve, are they for real? Well, after their first 12 games, they were 6-4-2, and two, yet sitting out of a playoff spot. And it, it it's kind of just going to show you how pleasantly strong the Eastern Conference has been so far this year. Yep. Uh, leading scorer was Alexander Wenberg. He had 20 and 40 points in his first two years. Only scored one goal this year, added actually one goal in the St. Louis game. So now he's got two. But even then, still a top three scorer on their team and heading into last night, the top scorer on the team. Um, and I'm just looking at some of the other guys, and, and, that's pro- and this number Wenberg. has probably increased. At least seven individuals on the Blue Jackets have scored at least four goals this season, uh, including rookie Josh Anderson, who has five. Yep. And you also need to take into account that prior to last night, Boone Jenner, a guy who scored 30 last year, only scored once this yep. year. So he's bound to pick up at some point. And... Um, you know, while he's out the next three weeks due to injury, Seth Jones, six points. Zach Rowenski, I call him this year's ghost bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, in just 12 games of NHL experience heading into Saturday, he had three goals and 11 points. He and has four I, goals I, I, and eight assists, but okay. Oh, sorry. Why are they updated again? He uh, he has four. We're talking about Zach Rowenski, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has four goals, eight assists, so 12 points. Okay. In 13 So he, he added a point in the St. Louis blow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the biggest reason why this team hasn't been a cellar dweller this year has been Bobrovsky. Um, because last year, he registered the second worst GAA of his NHL career, 2.75. Though, to be fair, he only played in 37 games last year. Yeah. And, and that's probably why um, Columbus wasn't nearly as good as they could have been, because they didn't have the good Sergei Bobrovsky, the healthy Sergei Bobrovsky. Now he's healthy and he's good. And really the only team this year that's caused him problems has been your Boston Bruins. Yeah, no, I was about to mention that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Thanks for doing the bragging for me. In the season opener, they scored five times on 36 shots, four times on just nine um, this past week, November 10th. So other than those two outings, he's been solid over his first 11 games. He's given up two or less in eight of those 11 games. And the only other team to score at least three on Bobrovsky outside of Boston was L.A. back on October the 25th. No, oh, and, and San Jose. And in nine of those 11 games, Sergey has had to face... And San Jose. Oh, and, and San Jose? Did yeah, he, uh, on the 25th and the 27th. So he lost to L.A. in overtime on the 25th, 3-2. Oh. to two. And then he okay. lost to San Jose, 3-1 to one on the okay. 27th. But well, your point still in the updated stat department. Still, in, in the majority of those games, <laughs> your point still stands. Yes. Yeah, in in the majority of the games, um, to 
give up less than three goals, uh, to have three goals or less get by you, that's pretty good. Yeah. And um, in, in nine of those 11 games, Sergei's had to face at least 30 shots. And he's also got three shout-outs to his name. You know, yeah. of course, we all know the 10 nothing to Montreal being the most notable. But even then, 2.16 GAA, 9.35 save percentage. That's that's the kind of goaltending that this team needs in order yeah. to be a playoff team. Yeah. What they need to work on, though, is the leadership. And and Tortorella ranted about this um, uh, during uh, last weekend's action when Nick Foligno uh, took on Ryan Reeves, a big guy from St. Louis, um, who really probably most people don't want to fight. Right. Uh, but Nick Foligno held his own, and the team – and towards his eyes, did not rally behind their leader. Uh, in the rematch game, St. Louis won four for five on the power play, yet Columbus had a seven to one lead in the second period. So it's it's time for this team to rally and not rely on their leaders. They need to get behind one another. And if they do mm. that, I think this team is going to be a very formidable opponent in the East. Yeah, I agree with that. I, um, if you remember back when we had our who's gonna step, who's gonna take a step up, and who's gonna who's gonna be our surprise team, I had Columbus as a surprise team. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's funny because, like you mentioned, Bobrovsky, and I've only seen them when they are playing the Bruins. So it's like. Oh yeah, Bobrovsky hasn't been what he should be, but that's only because I've seen their two worst games. Um, so, but you know, you're right though. In terms of in ter- Columbus's success, is completely relied upon Bobrovsky, and if he can be that guy, um, like he was two years ago or whenever he won the Vezina, um, then I, I agree. I think he I won think- the Vezina in the lockout shortened season. Okay, so and that they, was... And they didn't make the playoffs that year. That was three years ago, I think. Um, yeah. So, if they can be that guy for... Um, then I think, yeah, you're right. I think, like, Columbus does have a chance to make a wild card. I don't know if they're as good as, like, the Penguins or the um, Capitals or the Rangers, but um, they'll definitely get into a wild card if Bobrovsky is, um, you know, an elite goalie. Um but that's the question, is will he be a leading goalie? I do want to mention, though, that we did mention uh, Zach Wierenski. Um, Nick Foligno leads their team with 16 points. Um, Alexander Wenberg, who's also been pretty good, he has 13 assists and 15 points overall. Um, so that's been impressive for them. Um, but um, So those guys, I think when I talked about them way, way, way back, um, I was mentioning how like guys like Foligno, Hartnell, um, Dubinsky, they all have to step up. And so far, Nick Foligno has stepped up, but uh, Hartnell has 10 points in uh, 13 games. That's not great, but not terrible either. Dubinsky has three points in 11 games. Um, that's definitely not good. But um, if if Dubinsky can get going and if Foligno... If, um, Scott Harnell can get going, then this team may be actually pretty scary. So um, we'll see. And, you know, Zach Wierenski is a surprise for them. He looks to be pretty good for them, though. So um, we'll have to see, I guess. Um, All right, let's get going, though. Uh, Evander Kane returns, but Tyler Ennis is expected to miss 
uh, several weeks. So the uh, injury bug is still plaguing Buffalo. Uh, they have lost um, four straight. Um, but um, a bit. Including a back-to-back to New Jersey. Yeah, including a back-to-back to New Jersey. They lost to your team and my team uh, before that. So, um, yeah, it's... Um, so, speaking from one prediction that I got right and one prediction, this is a prediction I got wrong. Um, I don't know if the Sabres are going to be that good um, if they don't have a healthy team. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what's what's interesting about Tyler Ennis is that he's having groin surgery, the actual groin. Um, but And that might have something to do with those low point totals because he only had two points to his name through 12 games. Yep. A far cry from his annual 35 to 40 point average. So you got to wonder if and you, and you got to wonder if if that kind of was holding him back uh, offensively this year. Um, um, it, it, and you know what? It could also be a lingering thing once he returns. Um, groin injuries, you know, for goalies and for players, um, they might not seem like much, but they, they could become a lingering issue. Yeah. They could really hamper you offensively, defensively. Um, really hamper your mobility. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that if and when he returns. And speaking of potential returns, Jack Eichel is still making progress, but still MIA. Uh, no timetable for an exact return just yet. Although I thought he was going to come back at like late November, so there is some okay. hope. Okay, well that, that might just be what the doctor ordered if you're right. a Buffalo Sabres fan. But I, I may be reading a wrong thing, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh Okay. I, I, heard, I heard he's making progress, but he's yeah. not back yet. Um, let me double-check that while we uh, talk about the next topic. Um, Ryan Getzleff is now the franchise leader in assist uh, for the Ducks. Uh, he passed uh, Team Mussolini. Um Yeah, so it's, I mean, he was, we're, we, I'm not sure exactly when um, he did this, uh, but, um, or if he's, if he even actually did this, but we expect that he'll he'll get an assist at some point and uh, break Timu Solani's um, assist record for the Ducks. Um, yeah, whenever if if Timu sends out a YouTube video congratulating him on his accomplishment, then we'll probably know he broke the record. Okay, it says here that Jack Eichel is going to return in early December, so I was wrong. Oh, okay. About. But, uh, that's a that's a couple of weeks away. That's not bad. It's still, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit. It's not late November, but it's still close to that. Uh, Yannick Hansen has a rib injury. He's out four to six weeks. Um, if the Canucks news couldn't get any worse, it does. Um, yeah. <laughs> they actually got a win against yeah. the Rangers of all teams, and then they lost again. Right. So. Um, OEL is caught. Uh, for diving, and he uh, he's fine for it. It's kind of um, OEL is not known for that, but um, yeah. So he's uh, I think that was the first fi- diving fine of the year. So yeah, which is kind of shocking. I don't think too many people thought the Swedish law firm would be the first to be fined and caught by the league. Is um, that what people but, call him, the Swedish law firm? I love that. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard that on on uh, Sports Center updates. I mean, I just call that. him OEL, I but I I love that name. I got love that name. Law firm. That's All really right. caught on for me. So, All right. uh, and he he also a fan on a clearing attempt that led to a game winning goal by the Jets. So uh, OEL hasn't really had the best week. It shows that we're all here. 
I, um, yeah, I, all right, I love that nickname now. That's, like, changed my life. Um, <laughs> Montreal is 10-0-0 uh, at home. It's a franchise record. Um, yeah, it's impressive considering that Montreal has this story history and they've never been 10-0-0 to start the season. So, um, yeah, good on them. Yeah, two other teams have done it way back in the day, and neither won the Stanley Cup. So don't get your hopes up, Montreal. Yeah, but, I mean, okay. Well, <laughs> um, I'm now a little scared with them, though, but yeah. Um, NBCSN has uh, finally added the Leafs and Oilers game on, Mo- on November 29th. So U.S. markets will get to see Matthews and McDavid finally, uh, part two. I, I remember when I was talking about this earlier in the year where I was wishing that, um, you know, the U.S. Yeah. markets get to see McDavid and Matthews because I, you know, I don't, I don't get to see him. So uh, that's good news for USA, uh, one that we desperately needed. So, um, yay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that will make you guys less jealous of us now that you get uh, the same and uh, fair and equal treatment that we get on <laughs> yeah. pretty much every any given night. I know, exactly. Uh, hockey, it's like, hockey's kind of religious. Yeah, it's like uh, Canada, you guys get hockey all the time, and we just get tiny glimpses of them. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. We we got them. Yeah. So yeah. Speaking I look of uh, big matchups, McDavid versus Crosby, yep. part one. Connor got three points. Crosby got one. Penguins won the game. In case yep. you didn't catch that earlier this week. Um, this was a small trade that kind of slipped by the radar, but uh, I happened to capture it. Uh, the Rangers. This is the we do have to mention trades, no matter how minor they are, but. The Rangers have acquired Stephen Kampfer from the Panthers for Dylan McIlrath. Uh, this is only notable, really, because uh, Dylan McIlrath was a first-round pick um, a while ago, and I guess the Rangers just gave up on this guy, um, or he just isn't good. So we'll have to see. Um, I, I think it's a matter of the Rangers' blue line being the Rangers' blue line, yep. and there wasn't really a chance for him to thrive. So hopefully uh, the Panthers, uh, he'll be able to... Uh, show what he's capable of uh, over in the Sunshine State. Um, we already mentioned uh, before the Hockey Hall of Fame, when they were announced, um, you know, the inductees of this class in 2016. But uh, they're about to be inducted on Monday, or today, if you're listening on Mon- uh, right away. Um, if you're listening on Tuesday, they've already been inducted. Yeah, Yay. you probably already know this, but... Uh, so Eric, so again, the guys who were uh, who were inducted on Monday: Eric Lindros, Sergey Markov, Rogi Vashon, and finally Pat Quinn. Um, so good luck to those guys, or um, they'd all deserve it, um, especially yeah. Markov, Vashon, and Lindros, yeah. who had to wait a long, long time. Um, to get inducted, so yeah, the the big eighty eight. Um, he, he had a lot of. Um, he, he displayed a lot of dominance. Unfortunately, another one of those guys like Paul Korea. Yep. Concussions derailed his career big time. Uh, Sergey Makarov. Some I, I call him the oldest Calder because he's the oldest player to win yep. the Calder Trophy. He didn't enter the NHL until he was thirty one years old. Yeah, he's played the reason. Seven, played seven seasons, dominant in Russia. Um, very um. 
very good reason why to put him in the Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah, he's the reason why the Calder Trophy now has a uh, age limit. So yeah. Um, although Panarin won last year, or almost won last year, so um, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pat Quinn will be represented by his daughter. Unfortunately, yep. he died and won't get to see his name again. Doctor, that's probably the only crying shame about this is that right. they didn't get they didn't induct Pat Quinn while he was still alive. Well, at least he's in uh, now. But yeah. But um, good, good for uh, Quinn's family uh, to, to see him be yeah. rewarded for his hard work all these years. And Habs legend Rogie Vachon, who uh, was holding back tears, talking to the media that his wife passed away, I think about a year ago, and he, he, he wishes that she was here. But uh, he says uh, you know, his kids and his grandkids will be able to get to see him get inducted in the Hall of Fame and his glorious mustache, too. The mustache yep. uh, lives on for the Habs legend. <laughs> Uh, Merrick Spatos, uh, died, um, on, was it on Monday or Sunday? I think it was Sunday. I, uh, I think it was shortly after we recorded this podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, so he died. He was only 34 years old. Um, yeah, it's sad news, but, um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you, you hate to see hockey players die at, at this age, you know, yeah. you, you, you saw all those tough guys uh, that, you know, in, in their mid-30s to late-20s, early-30s, um, and three of them died within a span of a couple of months, right. um, a couple of years ago, and that, that was a really sad time for the NHL, and it, it kind of brings, brings those memories back, you know, a hockey player dying too young, uh, leaves behind a wife and two kids as well, yep. uh, Died suddenly at his home in Colorado. Still not sure if if we got word as to how he died. Um, He played parts of eight NHL seasons. In his first year, he recorded a career-best 32 goals and 50 points in 61 games with the Avs in 05-06. Scored 26 goals in 07-08. Never able to surpass 20 goals after that. And what I didn't really remember until just now is that his final NHL season was with the Ottawa Senators he played 19 games for them in 2010-2011, yeah. only recorded three goals and two assists. That was his last NHL team that he ever played for. Yeah, he also played for the Nashville Predators for nine games. Oh, but yeah. yeah, although briefly. But yeah, uh, yeah. Very, very sad time in our, hot, in our hearts and our thoughts go out to Merrick Spatos, okay. uh, his family and his, his two kids. Tough time for them. So we do have time. Uh, I wasn't sure if we had enough time, but we do have enough time. Uh, you wanted to rant about Anthony Mantha, so... Yeah, um, <laughs> once upon a time, our highly regarded as the Wings' top prospect, uh, Andreas Anthonisiu is on injury reserve. He is being called up by the team. Um, like I said, ton of offside when he got drafted by Detroit in his final two years of junior. This guy scored 107 goals and 209 points in 124 regular season contests. Uh, 2014 postseason, he was huge. 24 times he scored in 24 games, finished with 38 points, and even better at the 2014 World Juniors, 5 goals, 11 points over a 7-game stretch with Team Canada. Since those remarkable numbers, however, he has rubbed some people the wrong way with his playing style. If you recall, his first year with the Griffins, it started with a fractured tibia, recovered fairly well, uh, recorded 33 points in 62 games, but... When uh, Detroit senior vice president Jim Devolano was asked about his play, he said the injury did not slow Mantha's progress, but his compete level 
was sometimes an issue. And when asked to expand on that, he said the size is there, the skill is there, sometimes the fire is missing. The good news is Devilano has seen some improvements from Mantha since then. Last year, he tallied 21 goals and 45 points over a 60-game stretch. And in nine playoff games, he recorded 11 points with the team. So uh, now that he's back in the NHL, he's played in 10 game. Uh, he's played in 10 NHL games, two goals and one assist to his name. Uh, I'd be interested to see what kind of statement that Anthony Mantha makes. Uh, and, and hopefully the Red Wings give him a good, solid look because I really think he's got a bright NHL future if they give him time to develop the right way. Yeah, um, the the Red Wings seem to have, uh, they always seem to have a knack for like just finding guys from like mm-hmm. late rounds and uh, picking them up. So, But this guy, he was drafted 20th overall, so... Um, and he, you know, he seems to play, he seemed to have played well in, um, Grand Rapids. So, um, it should be exciting to see now that he's given a chance, we should, it should be, it should be interesting to see, um, how he does. So, um, I guess all eyes are on him now. Um, I guess we'll go to Bruins Sens now. Yeah. Um, you can start off with Bruins cause I'm okay. going to rant on the Sens and, uh, okay. how they're doing. Sure. Um, so yeah, the uh, Bruins had an interesting week this week. Um, we uh, had we're still we still have to play the we play the Avalanche later tonight um, against Colorado, but we played um, four games already. Um, so we beat Buffalo on Monday uh, for nothing. Um, Rask got a shutout. Rask has been pretty good for us. He's been, um, I guess I can get to that eventually, but I was reading a stat once where he's, I think he's like, uh, what what was the stat? Um, He's 9-1 on the year, that much I know. um, I think it's like uh, the Rask is uh, 9-1-0 without the, starting the year but uh like um they the Bruins are 0 and 4 without um him in starting the lineup or something like that um so they need Rask to survive pretty much um he's been pretty good but um yeah so we uh we beat Buffalo on Monday then on Tuesday we lost to Montreal it was actually um McIntyre close to forcing overtime and then yeah. Galchenyuk ruined everything. I know exactly. Um it was this it was depressing day for that um as well cuz it was Tuesday. Um yeah. but um yeah, but McIntyre actually played pretty well. Um we our defense is actually looking pretty good especially Brandon Carlo who's now on the top line with Zendo or the top pair with uh, Chara. Um so um I like that. Um, and then, uh, yes, then we played against Columbus, um, as we talked about earlier, uh, we kind of have a, we, um, we had their number, we, uh, we got Bob, Bobrowski out in the, like, the second period, um, so that was good, um, and then, uh, we played Arizona last night, um, and we won 2-1, I felt like it should have been, it should have been, like, 5-1 us, but, um, I mean, I'll take it. Um, we won tonight. 
Um, and then we play Colorado tonight. Um, we shall see what happens there. I do want to mention that Pasternak is tied for second in goals. I did briefly mention that before. Um, yeah. It's um, it takes uh, you know it, it's interesting. I think I've mentioned this before, but like ever since the Tyler Sagan trade, we you know Bruins fans have always been like, oh, we'll never get that guy who who's gonna be in a like a goal scorer or a point scorer, and now. Um, you know, Pasternak on the leaderboard for now. Um, I don't know if he'll continue to uh, be as good as he is right now, but um, signs are looking good that he is um, he's going to be pretty good. So um, I'm happy that Pasternak's been pretty good. Um, also, shout-outs to uh, Brandon Carlo and uh, Colin Miller, who have also stepped up on the defensive side. Um, and I'm I'm just more I'm more surprised that Claude Julian, who's notorious for not playing the young guys, especially young defensemen, um, and now uh, Colin Miller and uh, Brandon Carlo are like two of our best defensemen who get a ton of ice time. So um, yeah, there we go for that. Um, as for next week, we play. Hold on, let me look at my, the schedule. I just had it, and then I lost it. Um, I actually hear they. I, I hear they actually get a couple of days off before their next game, which they didn't yeah. have last week. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. We have we have only two games this week. Um, after Colorado, um, we have Minnesota on Thursday, um, and then we play Winnipeg um, at home on Saturday. Um, so yeah, we have a bit of a rest because after five games in seven days, um, we need that. So uh, we have it. I kind of forgotten about this, but, uh, the, every team has a bye or has a week where they don't play a game. And yeah, ours, I, I heard yeah. there was discussions they were going to bring it up. I didn't yeah. realize until the, maybe the start of the year that was actually going to happen this yeah, year. Yeah, it's because... And that explains all the back-to-back games. Exactly. Especially with you guys had to deal with, you had to deal with two back-to-backs. Exactly. And that's going to, I think that's going to happen sometime in February, but it's because of uh, the World Cup um, of hockey. That was the compromise the NHLPA made with uh... the NHL. So okay. I thought it was going to be a regular, uh, regular feature on the schedules going forward. Right, but okay. yeah, I think it's going to be in February for us at least. I don't know when it's going to start, but um, so is is that for the entire league or just a select number of teams like the NFL has? No, it's for every team. Well, uh, wait, wait. You think the NFL has <laughs> has this, like only certain teams have buys? Well, no, like, you know, every week certain teams have buys. Oh, yeah, I know, I yeah, know yeah. For a certain week, uh, certain teams would be off. They wouldn't play. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, I yeah. assume it's just that it's going to be like an NFL thing where each, like, a couple teams have off at the same time. Yeah. I would assume. But, because yeah. it would be weird if all, like, every time, like, you know, because then they would have to start, like, now if all 30 teams one team gets off, you know, um, once a week or whatever like that. But yeah, so it just got me thinking that like in February, well, especially with the Bruins who had a lot of uh, guys in the world cup. So, 
Um, but um, we kind of need a buy now. But um, yeah, we're gonna have a buy uh, sometime in February. So, yay! <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna rant a lot on this. Um, okay. The good news is for Ottawa, their defense has cleaned things up a little bit. Uh, in each of the first four games, they surrendered three or more goals for a total of 16 goals against. Since then, the opposition has scored three or more goals just three times in the 10 games that followed, with a 3-1 loss in Nashville being the most recent example. Um, and they've been a part of a lot of close games this year. 2 nothing, 2-1 OT, 1 nothing regulation, 2-1 regulation, uh, 3-1 at Nashville, uh, 2-1 in a shootout, 2-1 regulation, also had those games against Montreal and Toronto in the first week of the regular season that had a lot of scoring, but nevertheless still won goal games. Um, I'd be kind of shocked if a 6-5 slugfest breaks out versus Minnesota tonight as they are a stingy top-five team defensively, but I'm expecting another tight game regardless of the score. Um, I'd like to see more from Matt Pumple. He's got no points after his first 10 games. Uh, Pajot, prior to the L.A. game, he only had two points. Uh, Pyatt still surprised me. He's got five on the year. Uh, Dezingle slowed down a little, but still has nine points after his first 14 games. That's pretty good. Uh, Tourist leads the way with six goals heading into Sunday. And of course, Craig Anderson is looking like the one we saw back in the lockout shortened season. He's given up one goal or less in four of his last six outings. All of those four outings have resulted in wins. Uh, and that's critical because five of the last six games that Ottawa's played in have been decided by a goal. Um, or actually, five of the six, last six that uh, for sure Anderson has started have been decided by a goal. Um, at the time of this recording, believe it or not, Ottawa's second in the Atlantic Division with a 9-5-0 record. And they are also 6-2-0 at home. Uh, of course, excluding Sunday's game. Um offense it came alive in their first four games they scored 17 times in the following 10 they've scored that exact same amount of goals 17 goals in their last 10 and they haven't scored more than four goals in a game since their 7-4 win against Arizona on October 18th so a lot of people are wondering where's the offense like pull the panic button like where's that offense we saw last year and before you start to criticize, I'd like you to consider the following stats, and there are a lot of them. The Sens' power play last season was 15.8%, 26th overall in the league. They were also a bottom 10 team last year in power play time. After 14 games this year, Ottawa's power play is 10.3%. Again, they are a bottom 5 team. Again, to be fair, they've had the second lowest time on the power play. Uh, again, goal scoring last year. They scored 230 last year, ninth most in the NHL. After 14 games this year, they've got 34 goals for, puts them in the bottom 10. They were a top five team from opening night to October 18th. Since October 18th, they have 17 goals, as I said before, bottom 10 team in that category. Uh, last year in one goal games, Ottawa was 16, 8, and 9. So they were in... Let's see, doing basic math, 24, 9, 33 one-goal games last year. They've been in seven this year, and they've won six of them. So it leads me to believe that maybe there's not too much progress. So I looked deeper into their stats. I looked at their goals against stats because that was a big weakness last year. They gave up 241 goals against last year, fifth worst in the league. 
first 14 games this year, they've surrendered 33 goals against, which is fifth best. And from Mm. opening night to October 18th, they gave up 16, the highest of any team in the league. Since October the 18th, when their offense went away, they've given up 21 goals against the third fewest in the greatest game on earth. Now, they had some other weaknesses last year. Their penalty kill, I think, was probably their biggest other than goals against and shots against. We'll get to the shots against later, but we'll start off with the penalty kill. Last year, 75.8%, second to last overall. Took the 10th most penalties, so it wasn't much of a surprise that their average time in the sim bin per game last year was 10 minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, they also had the fourth most majors and the fourth most misconducts last year. This year, after 14 games, their penalty kill has gone from 75.8% to 85.4, which puts them in the league's top 10. And when you compare the number of penalties they've taken to some of the other NHL teams, Ottawa seems to be a little more disciplined so far this year. Um, getting to the shots on goal, in 33 of their 38 wins last year, they were outshot by their opponent. And in games where they got outshot, their record was an impressive 33-20-7. That means in 60 games of the 82 they played last year, they were outshot. That's a lot of games. Like over two-thirds of their games, they were got out, they were outshot. Uh, they averaged 32.8 shots against per game. And no other team gave up more shots than Ottawa did last year. This year, after 14 games, they're 5-1-0 in games where they got outshot. Just 3-4-0 in games where they've outshot their the other team this year. To be fair, when they outshot their team last year, they were a brutal 5-14-2. So don't put too much stock into that stat. But after 14 games, they've given up an average of 30.1 shots on goal per game. That's middle of the pack. It's not dead last, but it's middle of the pack, and that's an improvement. And then... You look at the amount of shots that Ottawa generates this year from last year. This is a really significant improvement. Last year, Ottawa managed 28.4 shots on goal per contest, the fourth lowest. After their first 14 games this year, they're averaging 31.3 shots on goal per game. That's almost a full extra three shots on goal per game this year compared to last year. They're in the top 10 in that department after 14 games this year. Um, I would like... I'd like to point out the Philadelphia Flyers for a second. After Saturday, their 53 goals for second best in the league led the league. Over 27 shots a game, their 50 goals against is a league worst. You don't need to have a run-and-gun offense in order to win games. In fact, I would argue those are the teams that have to score at will in order to win games. The teams that can play a boring brand of hockey, <coughs> L.A., <coughs> New Jersey, when they had the trap in the, you know, in the Lule Morello prime Marty Brodeur years, they played boring hockey, but it was effective hockey. Uh, Chicago plays good team hockey. They've won three Stanley Cups for a reason. Sometimes a boring brand of hockey is boring, but it's successful. Yeah. And what I take away from these stats is that Guy Boucher's plan is working. This team is starting to buy in. Rest assured, the offense will come. But the big challenge that this team had this year, and I think this team is going to have this year, is playing a full 60 minutes. They haven't gotten to that level, but if they continue to do the little things right and keep the puck out of the net, I like where this team is going. And and, and I think 
a boring brand of hockey, it might be boring, but if you're winning games, you don't care. Right. I think if you ask a lot of Sens fans, if they'd be satisfied at this point in the season with being second in the Atlantic Division, I think they will take the money and run. Yeah, at the moment, we're, t- uh, we're uh, tied. Um, both the Bruins and the Ottawa Senators are tied uh, for second in the Atlantic. So um, it should be interesting to see um, how that's going going to work. But I was just noticing that like you guys... I am looking at your previous five games or so. It's 2-1, It's like these are all like one-goal games or two-goal games. So, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, it seems like this uh, Mike Condon um, has, been, uh, has been helping you guys. Um, so, your, I don't know, your defense has been pretty good so far. So, we shall see if that continues or whatnot. Yeah, um, I, think, I think also, again, the return of Craig Anderson, I think he's been a welcome yeah. a, a addition. I think his presence, I think ever since he's come back, that's when they've really started to turn the corner. Yeah. And uh, they, they've really rallied around one another. They, they, ha- they haven't made it look pretty, but they've been winning games uh, and they've been getting goals from key players at key times. And Craig Anderson, I don't think he's, He's been, you know, lights out, you know, a Jonathan Quick kind of guy that stops everything and makes everything look pretty. But he's providing veteran, stable goaltending, and Mike Condon's been a solid compliment behind him since Hammond's got uh, gone on uh, the injured reserve, and Condon's come in. He's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should be interesting. Do you think they're they're for real, the Sens? Uh, it's too early to say because I still think that it's a work in progress. I mean, right. that 3-1 loss to Nashville, Guy Boucher described as the team's worst performance of the season. Right. And then they followed that up with a couple of one-goal wins. Yeah. So I don't know what to expect of them just yet, but I think at this stage I'm satisfied with what I'm seeing. Okay. And I think if they continue to improve, they are going to be a playoff team. Okay. Uh, you can follow us up on uh, Lay Some Podcasts on Twitter. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook for Lace Em Up. I actually had started to do a preview every day of, uh, the hockey matchups called Tonight's Slate, um, where I just have, like, a blurb on, on each game, um, and just write about that. Um, it's kind of been fun. I don't know if people are actually looking at it or reading it, but, um, it's been fun for me at least. Um... You can follow us on uh, SoundCloud if you're listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, hit the subscribe button or follow button um, and rate us for five stars. And you can also email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, all right, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 53 of the Listen Up podcast. All right. Um.